Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, and today my guest is Yang Shi Chu. She's a Harvard graduate and author of The Ghost Ride, one of my most favorite fiction books of all time. And she has the forthcoming The Night Tiger, published by Flatiron Books, available February 15th. But you can pre-order now, so you make sure you're one of the first people to receive it. You might remember our discussion last season about her first novel, The Ghost Bride. And I'm thrilled and excited to celebrate and announce that Netflix is producing a series based on The Ghost Bride that's currently in production. Yangshi's second novel, The Ghost Tiger, is an amazing, mystical, magical tale set in old Malaya. And I can't wait to share it with all of you. It's already received a star review from Kirkus Reviews, and today we're going to chat about what it's like to write a second novel, selling it at a book auction, and how her literary agent assisted in the editing process. I'm so thrilled to welcome Yangshi to the show. Hi, Yangshi. How are you? Hi, Crystal Lee. Thank you. It's so wonderful to talk to you again. I, you know, I just remember enjoying our chat so much last time, so thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. I feel honored to be able to interview you about your work because it's just so phenomenal. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. <laughs> you <really> are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so before we get into all the bookish stuff that we love to talk about, I, I wanted to take a moment first just to congratulate you on the next Netflix series because I just I always thought this would be such a beautiful piece to be brought to life on the screen and it's kind of interesting to know that there's going to be a live action version available soon so how did that process sort of happen from the book being published to being approached by Netflix oh wow you know I I can hardly believe it myself you know sometimes I have to pinch <laughs> myself it seems very unreal um I, I, you know, my uh, wonderful literary agent, Jenny Bent, runs the Bent Agency, and they also, um, they work with another agent, Dana Spector, to um, sell film and movie rights. So I think this is pretty standard for most books. If you, you have mm-hmm. an agent, um, they'll often have another agent who specializes in that as well. And so over the years, we'd had, you know, some people, some were interested, and, you know, some things didn't work out. Um, and then... Um, I, I got an email saying, hey, you know what? Netflix might be interested in this. And I was so excited. <laughs> I really no, thought, I was like, really? <laughs> Is that possible? And then I thought, oh. And they said, well, they might be interested in it as a Chinese drama series um, because Netflix is producing a lot of their own content. And they, I think they've done a super job, like, all over yeah. the world. 
And I, like many people, was absolutely transfixed by Stranger Things. I'm still waiting for the next installment. (laughs) (laughs) I was just beyond thrilled. And, you know, as to how it came about, I think, you know, my agents actually handled that. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm not totally sure how it happened, but I think they had heard about the book, or they read it, and then they they a- approached my agent, and they and they sort of worked it out. But it still feels very unreal. Although when I saw, you know, the uh, Netflix went live with the announcement, and they had a little teaser trailer. I don't know whether you had a chance to see that. I did. It's so. It's such a nice trailer. <laughs> I, I know. Like, <laughs> I, you know, they went live, and it, it was, I think, Singapore time, so it was pretty close to midnight here when um, when I found out that it was up. In fact, oh. they, they told us, like, well, you know, we'll have it up around this date or so, and then my husband was checking. He's like, hey, I think they just made an announcement. And then I was watching that teaser and actually kind of crying, like, oh, I can't believe this oh, is yeah. so cool. And fangirly. Well, um, so... Yeah, it was very exciting. I think the actors look amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole thing looks sure. amazing. Wow. It does. <laughs> it does. It's sort of, it's kind of magical having, I've read the book a couple of times just because I enjoyed the storytelling so much. And I have the audio book. So for anybody who's listening, the audio books are narrated by Yang Shi herself. And as you can hear, she has the most <laughs> lovely voice. Yeah, I, very I just kind love again. it. Um, it's amazing I think it's taken on a life of its own you know I I think the storyline might be slightly different because they've made it into six episodes Um, and so I myself cannot wait to see um, what it looks like it'll be really interesting (laughs) I know right it seems like a dream because can you imagine from the time you began writing as a whole because you've talked about writing you know, that you mm-hmm. started off with with a mystery and then you, you went with the ghost bride and now you have the night tiger coming forth. Could you mm-hmm. ever have even imagined this moment, you know? No, not not really, not at all. I was always actually, <laughs> imagine like I would be writing, you know, something and hiding it in my desk drawer. No, not at all. So it's, it's amazing. And, you know, what's really, really fascinating is that all these books take on a life of their own, the stories do, you know, the characters do. And what I've found often the most it, crazy thing is that you'll be talking about people as though they actually existed, you know. If so-and-so yes. and so-and-so had done that, then that wouldn't have happened to them. <laughs> and these conversations happen everywhere in the ether. Um, it's, it's just amazing, yeah. I love it. So after we spoke, I think maybe when we spoke a couple of years ago, you had... The Ghost Bride had been out for a little bit, and I think you mm-hmm. were actually working on the Night Tiger. So when did you begin to work on that after you had gotten the Ghost Bride published? Um, I am a very slow writer, and this is not not so good. <laughs> I guess in, in in the world of books, it would be I think ideal to be able to write so that you know and and you know so that readers can follow on. They want to find. It. I'm exactly the same way. You know, when I finished reading a book, I'm especially if there's more, I, I'll feel like I need to get all of them. I want to read all of them now. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like that. I, did we talk about Game of Thrones last time? And he still I hasn't think done he it. Did. 
I don't think we did. (laughs) Okay. So I was like, I think a few years ago I was talking to someone and said, hey, when's the next book coming up? Well, well, we don't know. And so far it still hasn't. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, ideally as a reader, you would just love to have all the things come out. Um, I am a slow writer. I did start, I think for me, books start, they germinate rather slowly because um, I, you know, we, and I write by the seat of my pants as, as we might have talked about last time, and I don't really plan. I have to have a fairly good idea of what's going on before I can even start writing, um, and that includes knowing what the place looks like because there's so many intangibles. You are trying to bring your readers with you into a world that's like a dream, and you have to yes. people it. I, and I don't know whether some t- there's some books that I've read um, w- which I love um, and other books in which I feel like the, the book itself feels thin, you know, that you know that the, yes. the plot is going along, but I don't have that much sense of where things occur, you know. So that's all world building. Um, and for me, I have to know the world fairly well before I can start writing in it or moving people in it. And sometimes I think it's not really me, but the, the characters start doing things by themselves. Um, and that's always a good feeling. So it did take me a long time. When did I start it? You know, I, I might have actually written the first chapter uh, maybe not too long after The Ghost Bride was done. You know, maybe even while it was still being subbed. But it was just that, a single chapter. Um, and these are these are sort of like starting episodes. Um yeah. I don't know if you've ever done that. You know, like you've written something, like yeah. one page. Yeah. And you think, this is interesting. And then you put it in your file with all the other, that's interesting, ideas, and then come back to it later. I think Roald Dahl had a notebook like that, except, you know, he didn't have computer files. So it's like two lines on a notebook, like, boy goes to chocolate factory. <laughs> 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 So, it's kind of, I, yeah, it's kind of amazing, right? Because we we get these little spurts of ideas and we mm-hmm. write them down and tuck them away, but then it comes mm-hmm. out later and becomes this amazing story full of so much rich detail. And I think that's what I enjoy about your writing too, because I feel like I'm right there, like I'm right in the moment. It feels like it's happening right now, and you're so invested in the characters and how the story evolves and I really love that about your writing oh that that that's very nice of you and I'm I'm that makes me very happy actually because apparently according <laughs> to my husband I'm a horrible person to watch movies with because I'll say <laughs> things like hey that doesn't look right this doesn't seem like and he'd be like look follow the plot why are you looking at the, why are you looking at the scenery <laughs> but I, I think that's but when you know when you're truly immersed it's, it's always such a, a fun ride you know and, and books are very much like visiting a different land inhabiting other people's lives you know there have been some books I've read that I've cried over because like oh this is so wow this is so moving and I don't know if you've had this experience of, you know, maybe stealing some time in the afternoon to read a book and then crying over it and then coming back. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, wait, I have to make dinner now. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very transportive. Yeah. Um, so when you began writing, how long did it take overall to write and, and get it to the point where you took it to Jenny and said, okay, here, have something? 
Oh, yes. Terrible. I'm terrible. So uh, so I had told her, I've got an idea for a new book, because they always ask you, um, you know, when you're pitching your book to editors. So when we were submitting The Ghost Bride, editors also wanted it. By the way, do you have anything else that you're working on? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and one should always say, yes, yes, of course. Um, and I had, I had sort of had this idea in my head. Um, and so I started writing it. I wrote a few chapters. Um, the, the Night Tiger is a book about a lot of dualities. You know, I, I've always been fascinated by this idea of mirror worlds or two things that happen at the same time. You see a little mm-hmm. bit of that in The Ghost Bride and the night, the night Tiger, the way the narrative is split, you actually have two characters and you have so many parallels. So the world of the dead, the world of the living, the world of servants and masters, um, and women and men, um, just everyone has secret lives. Well, not everyone, but you know, a number of people do. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always interested me. And, you know, the, the question of what is reality and how do you decide what your reality is? So the Night Tiger functions on the one hand as a perfectly straightforward murder mystery. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned murder mystery. I'm still trying to write my murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and on the other hand, that there's a parallel story in which I hope readers will find a, um, a supernatural reason for all the things that happen as well. I, you know, so you can take it either way. And when I was, this was actually kind of hard to set up. I did not plan to do this um, it, it evolved organically because I was trying to tell the story. So when I was writing the early drafts of The Night Tiger, um, part of the story is told from the, from the point of view of the uh, child, Ren, who is a mm-hmm. houseboy. He's a, he's a servant in this British doctor's household. And he does all the things that he's a kid, and at the same time he works. You know, um, Not too long ago, it was quite common for children to work. And even now, in many parts of the world, children do and um i i was writing about him and his relationship with this british doctor um whom and his dead master whom he suspects of being a eating tiger sorry this is where things get bizarre you know many times actually i had a hard time explaining this to people it'd be like so what are you working on um it's a book about you know, we're tigers, maybe. You know, so, um, I have to tell you, neither my mum, my mum had said for the first book, she's like, why are you writing about the marriage of the dead? And this one is about man-eating tigers. Why? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, couldn't you write something uplifting? Something cheerful? <laughs> And I think writers get that all the time. I think people, because I I interview a variety of authors and Mm -hmm. I'm very Mm -hmm. partial to memoir and historical fiction. And I commonly hear people sort of saying, you know, why can't you write upbeat and happy stories? And I was like, this is what I write because I'm so passionate about it and I love it. And I think it shows in the final project that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're very invested in these characters and their journey throughout the book. And I think, also, what I love is how, you know, when you write about female characters, you have a way of of sort of making sure that they, they're, 
they're their own person and they kind of have this coming of age story where they're where they're coming through diversity and and they're, they're struggling to be seen and heard because so many people want them to remain invisible. Mm-hmm. That that that's a that's a wonderful point. Um, I to to you the first part of what you said. I, I think it is true. One can only write about things that you find deeply fascinating. So mm-hmm. so when you're not interested as a writer, I think the reader can tell. Like, oh no, you didn't really want to write about this, uh, but it's it's in there. <laughs> um, and I, I've done that myself. I had to go and think, oh no, I, this is sort of filler, and let's just throw all the filler away. Um, <laughs> that that is true. And as for female characters, um, you know, actually that is a great point. And one of the things that I did struggle with with the Night Tiger, because in the beginning I had started with this boy and this man. And I was writing about them, and I'd, my agent, Jenny, um, to whom I give all credit, you know, I'd submitted to her like the first chapter, a couple chapters, and she's like, this is all very interesting. Where's the girl? Um, and I said, what? <laughs> and she said, women, you know, well, what is this book going to be about? And I said, oh, there is a girl, but I haven't discovered her yet. She, then she's like, no, 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 bring the girl up faster. So, and so <laughs> she's like, you need to have her up front. And she was absolutely right. Like, she's given me the most wonderful advice. And I thought, okay, um, instead of waiting to organically find her, I think we should do some digging now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, and I, I think she was absolutely right. It made the story so much faster. It moved it on, you know. And, and that is when I started with the dual narrative, which was not something I thought I could ever do. Um, more than one um, narrative voice is hard to handle, mm-hmm. not only for the writer but for the reader, especially if there's many and then you start to get confused. Like, who said this and where did we go? You know, so um, that's, that's a tricky balancing act. But, you know, Jenny's advice to me was, as always, fabulous. Yes, and, and to speak to that, you know, how involved is Jenny throughout your writing process, especially when it comes to the second novel, because she knows you're writing it and you, you send some sample chapters and she gives you some suggestions. So does she edit as you go or is she waiting for you to finish the entire manuscript and hand it in and say, here's what I've done and mm-hmm. then and then see what she thinks mm-hmm. after? Well, I, you know, so first I have to say that I lucked out with Jenny because she's a very editorial agent. Um, and I haven't had another literary agent, so I can't compare. But I feel very mm-hmm. lucky that she she does actually give me feedback, like lots of feedback. It's fabulous. Um, for the Night Tiger, let me think. I think that I'd given her the first few chapters, and then probably I finished the manuscript and sent her the whole thing at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that makes sense too because you can't quite tell where the story's going. It's like you've got to see the whole picture before you can say, "Oh, maybe we didn't need this subplot after all." So I I'm, I think that I think we waited till the end and then she and then she looked at it. But during I did give her little updates, and at one point, um, <laughs> and so I have a tendency to write too long. Um, we had and and have to cut back. Um, and maybe that partly that's because, uh, and, and perhaps you feel this way when you're writing, that in order to, to get myself going each day, I had a little goal. So 
I tell myself, like, I'm going to write, you know, like, I'll try to write 300 or 500 words a day. And then when one exceeds one's goal, one feels very pleased. <laughs> so, so, and I was tracking this, you know, I was tracking this on an, an Excel word, uh, uh, spreadsheet, like, how many words I'd written. And I must confess to you that a lot of those words were just filler words because I felt like, well, I made 500 words a day by adding in a description of this delicious lunch date they went on. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, to be, to be honest, uh, so then you, you, you do motivate yourself because you're like, I am, I am writing. Um, but at the same time, it's not all good writing or, or necessary writing. And so I'm writing this book. At a certain point, Jenny's like, and can you update me, like, how long is this book? And I said, oh, um, I think the book is almost 200,000 words, and I haven't <laughs> reached the end yet. And it was then that I realized, like, oh, no, this is bad. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> she's like um, <laughs> maybe you can sell a 200,000-word manuscript. And, you know, she's absolutely right. Before I got into writing, I did not even know I did not really understand about word counts, you know, like yes. a, a layman, I had naively wa- walked around and looked at the books at home and, you know, with my thumb, oh, this one's about this fat and the other one looks about yes. this fat. Um, <laughs> so, so foolish am I. And then I realized, ah, yeah, most people, I think most novels should be about 100,000, give or take. Yes. Yes, yes. because I think what new writers... You know, there's not, it's difficult for new writers, especially when sometimes it feels like the literary world is a secret society and you only get an invite once you've become published. So I think that was one of the main inspirations when I started this podcast to help Mm. people access Mm. help without having to pay money, without having to go to conferences because not everybody Mm -hmm. can afford to. And Mm -hmm. I think the word count conversation is especially helpful because. Uh, when I first started writing, I remember mm. I signed up for a conference to go pitch my book. And when I went to pitch, they mm. asked the first thing they asked, how many words is it? And I had over 200,000, same thing. <laughs> and were, the look on their face, it's almost like you can watch the agent's face drain of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and then they deliver the sentence, you know, that they know will kind of crush your dreams a little bit. And mm-hmm. and they advise, you know, you need to go back and cut that in half and then, then come see me. So mm-hmm. I think it's really good advice for new writers to know that it's typically around 100,000 mm-hmm. in fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and memoir, I know usually it's 75,000 up to 100, but more typically mm-hmm. on the lower end. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's great advice. Yes. Definitely. So, I mean, I, I, I was kind of on Twitter this morning, and um, there's been a lot of interesting discussion today and this week because some bad advice is floating out around there. Um, uh, one Twitter user that was an editor made this suggestion that people should borrow money or get a loan in order to hire an editor. So oh. I think we all kind of heard this collective huh. cringe by those of us that know, because as you shared previously in our past interview, you did the work submitted to agents and you, you didn't hire an editor. You had no previous knowledge of the publishing industry. You just kind of did a bit of research. And then when you signed with Jenny, 
you worked together before submitting it to publishers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always think it's mm-hmm. important to bring up that people don't have to spend thousands of dollars on editing. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of putting in the time and the work. Even if you're a slow writer, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter as long as you do the work. So for you specifically, you know, did you find that having your agent have a more editorial experience or or slant made it so much easier for you to work together to get the book in shape for publishing Hmm. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm sorry. I think I must have missed this Twitter conversation. <laughs> My kids were sick this morning. So our house was in a, its own small uproar. Yeah. Um, but that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting point, huh? You know, I, I, I think all, all writers are so different and all books have very individual needs. I, I really could not speak to that. Um, I can only tell you about my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think, and I did. I, I am. I am very grateful to Jenny because she is a. She's a fairly. Edit, I think editorial agent, and she's got a great eye. You know. Yeah. So she did actually tell me things like, "Oh my goodness, let's get rid of this whole subplot. You don't need this person." You know, and actually <laughs> tell me like, "Let's let's let's cut this. Let's cut that." I'm very very grateful to her. Um, I. Uh, you know, I've talked to other friends. I don't think all agents are this editorial, and everyone has their own style. You know, agents will give feedback yes. in different ways. Some people do phone calls. You know, some people will. Um, Jenny tends to mark up the manuscript, and I am so, so grateful for that. Um, <laughs> but people do it in different ways. You know, or they'll discuss things and, you know, come back and make changes. Um, and it also depends on the book. Um, I, I do know a couple of authors who's manuscripts were actually in such great shape that they hardly needed editing you know and that's um that is all to their that's that's i admire that a great deal so it is possible that if you're writing you may have such a great you may be in such great shape that you may need very little editing you know or minor editing um Mm -hmm. so it always depends on the book um in my own experience, I had this gigantic doorstop that I <laughs> that I cut down. Actually, part of the long the reason it took so long was that um, I had to cut it. So, uh, cut, 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 and we cut it, and then we kept cutting it until it, it emerged. But you know, um, if you if you do sell your book, um, you will have an editor, and they will edit you as well. Yes. You know, for many people, this is the primary edit. You know, if you if your book is in actually pretty good shape, and depending on depending on your, what your agent's feedback was, or maybe you didn't need much editing, that will be your editing experience. Mm-hmm. So, and they'll yeah. go through it and you know make suggestions and etc. And that is also super helpful. I think all writers, well, many writers feel like. This book is never done, and no, wait, don't take it away from my little paws. I, I have to fix. I still have to fix it. You know, so the yeah. writer's work is actually never done, and maybe sometimes we do need people to tell us, okay, you are done. Stop. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes, for sure. I remember going to a talk Elizabeth Gilbert did, and uh she was saying, she's like, you know, I could have kept working on Eat, Pray, Love. I could have kept editing it over and over and over. But it, there comes a point where you have to let go and just know that you've done your best that you mm-hmm. possibly can. And, yeah. you know, it's never going to be 100% perfect. There's always going to be something, you know. But right. it's more important to get the work out there. Do you mm. 
do you have a writing group or critique partners or, you know, or are you more of a solo writer? Well, um, I actually, I mostly write um, by myself, but I do have some readers, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and but my chief reader is actually my husband, who used to edit the school newspaper in college, <laughs> and so it's all like, okay, you know, I, I, I feel lucky in that regard. That like he kind of enjoys editing too, and I trust his judgment. Um, and so, I, and I do have some friends who are early readers. That is super helpful because you you can't always tell how things come off, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when I had, especially for the Night Tiger, like when I'd written this whole thing in the beginning and most of it was about this British doctor and my husband's like guys don't think like that you know you should just throw this all away and I thought what and I thought yeah he's probably right you know he probably wouldn't spend all this interior life and so it was helpful I actually cut and cut and cut until I felt I had a much better idea um, of where things were so it is always helpful to have readers I do think Um, and I, I'm grateful for that. I think it's hard to find readers, you know? It what, is. what do you think? It's, it is hard. Mm. Yes. Cause, and two, also there's there's such a varied response to work. Mm-hmm. I know when I sent a manuscript out, I had two or three people read it, and every single person's opinion was different. One wanted more of this. One wanted less of that. So sometimes it's conflicting, mm-hmm. but it's still helpful because you get that outside opinion because after a while, you read and reread and reread your work until you just feel like it's all garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no, not garbage. No, but yes, I, I, I understand that feeling, absolutely. Um, it is true. That is, you know, you've raised a good point. Like, how much feedback can you take? And partly, you know, I think you have to find um, someone's feedback that you can trust and who will mm-hmm. give you very honest feedback. And it is true. People will pick up on different things, too. There is nothing so hard as writing a novel by committee. You know? yes. It's like, like planning, a, uh, planning a playground by committee. You know, we should have five <laughs> weeks. No, three is optimal because I don't like you know, It's very, very difficult. Uh, and, and at its heart, I think a, a novel or a book is an idiosyncratic story. You know? And... Um, it's it's always an it's it's an strangely an emotional attachment. There are some books you read that you love, and others that you you won't like as much. And I, I think that's okay. That's the fun of book clubs, right? And so at the yeah. end of the day, you you do have to write for yourself to yourself. You know what makes sense. Um, where do you want things to go? And perhaps um, that's what makes every book so very different. You know, yeah. And that's the fun of it. Speaking of book clubs, I think it's an interesting, you know, topic that we don't always discuss, but do you, are you approached often by book clubs to sort of Skype in and discuss the book, or do you kind of hear through the grapevine after a while that a book club had chosen your book and they had a great discussion? Ah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a fun thing. I have done some book club visits, um, um, Mostly because of kind friends are like, hey, I've got this friend who's an author and she's got a book out. Shall we invite her? Over? Oh, yeah. I say, yay, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've done some. And I, I've done a couple of Skype ones, too. And, and those are, I think, always fun because you're with, we are all readers. You know, I think before you can write, you, you are a reader. I, I'm a, a big 
a bookworm myself and have actually done bad things like stayed up too late on a school night reading some <laughs> novel and thinking, oh my goodness, it's 2 a.m. I'm going to die tomorrow, but, 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 but. <laughs> I, I, I want to know what happened. You know, so I, I mean, we are all readers and it is actually, I think people who like to go to book clubs, enjoy books, um, and it's fun to hear what other people say, you know, so a, a fun experience. Now, in terms of marketing, so, I mean, it's quite different when you have a second novel coming out, but have you found the writing and publishing and the entire process quite different from from when you published The Ghost Bride? Did you find it it took longer to get some things done in the beginning, but now it's it's so much different because you have the support of an agent and, you know, uh, you mean the, kind the, of the first The first novel and the second novel. Um, yes, there, yes and no. I mean, there are definitely differences. When you write your first novel, you actually have all the time in the world. You know, you can spend 15 years polishing this gem um, <laughs> before sending it out. Um, and uh, I, I really felt like, and there is no timeline other than what you, you feel is right, you know. Mm-hmm. And that conversely also makes it difficult because you have to judge your internal barometer. Like, is this good enough? Should this see the light of day or should I bury it again, you know. <laughs> um, so that, that is very much internally driven. And, and, but it does give you time. Um, and I've heard this from, from other authors as well. They're like, oh, the first book, I really enjoyed that one because I, I got to really enjoy slowly writing what this experience up. Um, with the, when this first book is done, and if you sell it, um, they, they would normally like you to write a second book. And I think it depends on the genre. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend, you know, I have friends in young adult, and they say that I think the time between books is, you know, ideally they would like maybe one or two years, something like that. Um, but a lot of young adult is also, um, I think, trilogies. Or, yes. Yes, sequels. So in, to that extent, um, it, it is harder and easier because you've built the world. Right. Yes. You don't have to rebuild the world again. You can continue with your characters. It's like a, so that's that's not so bad. And it also depends on whether um, you've been, you know you've you've sold like a two book or three book deal. And so if you have a multiple book deal, then you you normally I think have some kind of internal deadline when the next manuscript has to be out. Um, for for me, I had not sold the next book, so I was you know. <laughs> in my slow tortoise-like way, writing. <laughs> but I, there is some, you know, um, but Jenny did tell me, she's like, you don't, don't take too long because you'll lose your market. I mean, whatever market has been created by people who liked your first book. And I, yes. and I thought then and still do think that it is very sound advice because in the world of books, you know, there's so many wonderful books to read each year. In fact, I look around and I think, I want this and I, I have to read this and this and this and this and this is not enough time. Um, mm-hmm. This time around, my, my publisher, Flat Iron, sent me to a, a number of independent um, bookseller conferences. It was my first time going. Uh, so oh. I was very, very excited. You know, so it's like, you know, you get to, I think it's ahead of before the book comes out, you get to go, it's a conference, and you get to meet people. Basically, you stand behind a plastic table with your books and say, hello, I'm so-and-so, would you like to read my book, right? And, and I was so grateful to go 
um, because you know people who run bookstores are just great people. You know, it's like readers yeah. times whatever. You know, everyone who loves exactly. books. And but I also had to control myself because there were other authors with other tables, and I kept wanting to run off and stand in line. Like, can I <laughs> can I have your book? Will, will you sign yes. your book for me? And then I turned around and realized, but. There's nobody at my table. Oops, I've got to go back. So, <laughs> so I think it, it is. It is. We are so fortunate to live when there are so many books. You know, as as yes. a child, I actually remember feeling like there isn't enough. There's nothing to read, and then go back to the library. We, you know, there's nothing new in the library. So I don't know whether you felt like that too. That that this is so much now. It's wonderful. It's amazing. I, I'm continually amazed because I'll, I get emails from publicists and books show up at my door. And, and I just think it's so wonderful because there's so much variety. There's mm-hmm. quite literally a, a book for every single person on the planet if they have mm-hmm. a different sort of interest. Or, so mm-hmm. it's, it's actually been amazing to watch it even in the last couple of years. Yeah, and the book covers. They, oh, they're, yeah. They're gorgeous. You know, I was telling my kids, I was like, look at this 1970s sci-fi cover. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and and then my son was like, they all use the same font. I was like, yes, they did. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, do you remember the book series, like the Flowers in the Attic, V.C. Andrews books? Oh yes! They were, don't they, they, don't they look like Stranger covers. Things? Like yes, is it, that's oh, what it it's like them. Stephen King's. Oh yeah, that was really in, and it also comes. And you know, my kids are really into Star Wars, so they're like they kind of look like the Star Wars poster. Yes. <laughs> yes. that was in. You know, were, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's really cool because I see such a variety in design work, but it is. Mm -hmm. I think it does contribute to book sales as well because people are naturally drawn by Mm -hmm. eye. And I think you've been able to have beautiful covers. The cover for the Night Tiger is gorgeous as well. And I think... Thank you. And that's all thanks to my publisher. And actually to the same designer, the same designer who did the Ghost Bride. So I feel very lucky. I wondered... It's very magical. So it's like, oh, wow. When I heard, you know, that she was going to do it, I was really excited. So it's... It's beautiful. And by the way, yeah. kids' book covers are beautiful too. Like I yes. was, the kids' book covers are so nice now. And I remember my childhood in which, you know, um, we often lived abroad. Uh, in, because of my father's job, we were posted to different countries, and there weren't many English books, and I'd be forced to read the same books again and again. And we're not even <laughs> talking about 70s books. We're talking about like, Victorian novels. <laughs> that's all. That's all. So I had to read, uh, you know, and this is probably colored a lot of my fiction, like some of these gothic novels. Um, and then you'd have to read stuff like Middle March and, you know, just stuff, you know, that this is not much choice. So I, and I was telling my kids, like, you're so lucky. You really are, you know. There's never that terror, and I don't know whether you ever felt this, the terror of there's nothing to read. Yes. I'm going to finish this book, and there's mm-hmm. nothing left. <laughs> I know. I felt very attached to different series. Even now, there's times where I'll finish mm-hmm. a book, and I'll just think, oh, I'm just not ready to let go of those characters yet. <laughs> so mm. it's, 
I remember when I was younger, there wasn't a lot out there. It was really rare, and yeah. especially series of books for young adult and, and children's books, too. So now, you know, when you go to bookstores and you see the variety that's available, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm so And libraries, grateful. too. Libraries. Yes. You know, libraries yes. are so great in this country. So uh, you can go out and, and ask for books, and people will tell you and recommend stuff. It's Anyway, my, my great fear when I was younger and before all these Kindles came out um, is, you know, in e-books was I would actually carry, like, a book in my handbag. Yes. So that I could yes. Read and it on the bus. And be a mess, right? Like, you yeah. all yeah. crunched up from being in your bag. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when I... Um, and I remember being, you know, when I... Going back, like, when I went... I went to university in America, and I went home to Malaysia. I would maybe borrow a bunch of books cause I, and, and then bring them back and think, oh, my goodness, I cannot lose any of these books because this is a public <laughs> library, and I have to keep them pristine. And then there's always the dilemma of, hey, this is a really big book, and I only have 20% left. Do I carry this big book mm-hmm. so that I can finish the last 20% or should I start the new small book? So, you know, things that, things that we don't face anymore because of, you know, yes. um, e-books, which are great. Yeah. Oh, totally. And even I find, you know, audiobooks were somewhat of a thing, but I find even now because of the rise in popularity of podcasting and audio mm-hmm. interviews mm-hmm. and people are really enjoying audiobooks again so that they can listen on their commutes or while they're, you know, kind of puttering around the house. So I'm really, you know, and I always tell people, I'm like, definitely check out the audiobook version, especially if you can experience it as read by the author, because I feel like there's a special magic in that, right? That's very nice. That's very kind of you. Um, But, you know, they are great. Um, Most fiction books are read by actors. Um, fiction, yes. So I was told by uh, one of the sound engineers at the studio where I recorded it, and I can see why, because they usually do a, a great job, you know, yeah. um, to have an actor read it. I uh, I actually had some kids' books that my kids listen to all the time, um, the, the Roald Dahl series, and they have some fabulous people like mm-hmm. Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. <laughs> I thought I could listen to Hugh Laurie read all the time. Yes. So, yeah. But it is true. Things like audiobooks, um, um, when I was younger, we would actually wait for radio shows, you know, so they might have a, like a little radio play or something on, and we'd have to wait um, that it would be on at a certain time. But now you can pretty much get that podcast, you know, at, at any time. And I do think you're right. Audio adds a, a different dimension, and you can multitask too. Yes. I mean, I can Definitely. sleep the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my glamorous life. <laughs> but no, no. <laughs> um, but it, it is really great, you know, for, for those of us who are so addicted to books um, that I, I do recall, like, carrying these books around and then doing something and then I'll just read another page. <laughs> and, and when, you know, so with an audiobook, yeah, you can do so much more. Definitely. So when... When you completed The Night Tiger and and Jenny put it out into submission, um, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned on your blog that 
it, it went to book auction. And I think book auctions are kind of a mystery for most new writers. They don't mm-hmm. frequently get to hear about them or the process. So I was curious if you'd be willing to share your experience and how it kind of went for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, um, that's a great question because it was also a mystery to me. <laughs> when, I <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first heard of it, I did not even know that books went to mm-hmm. auction. Um, and um, I was very lucky because with Jenny, both my books went to auction. Um, and the way I, I actually asked her, I said, what is a book auction? You know, and she said that, you know, if there's enough interest in a book from uh, different publishers, we'll have a little auction. And then we'll just ask people to submit their best bids. I think there's different ways to do it. You know, mm-hmm. but the way she did it was she just asked by a certain time period that they submit their best bids um, and then and then you make a decision, or sometimes you go on to a second round, you know, if there's enough interest. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing about this is, um, well, first of all, I'm very grateful for this for the experience. Um, it's a chance to speak to different editors uh, because yes. you will often get a phone call because then you'll know, like, okay, book auction's coming up on you know Tuesday or Thursday, and the editors will. You, you get a phone call with different editors from um, different publishing houses, and they'll talk to you. It's also for them, too, I'm sure, to figure yeah. out, like, uh, you know, they might have a vision of this book, or, like, I really like this book, but, you know, this, um, there's part of it which uh, I think this is, we could drop this, and what if you expanded this part of the story, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, uh, it's probably for them as well, and also for you to see if your vision lines up, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And but it's always it's always so. Um, I had I feel very grateful to be able to talk to people uh, about my book, um, and yes. it's this kind of feedback that we were you know you and I were discussing earlier that is it's so great to get a reader and it's hard to get readers you know and it's it's great to have an editor talk to your book about talk to you about your book, you know, like, why don't you restructure like this? What could you do um, to make the story more compelling? And and that was actually really, really great. I'm very grateful for that. Yes, definitely. Because I think, too, when you get an editor, they have such a keen eye for what's working, what's not working. So Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. book auction process, let's say, you know, Tuesday's the day. And so between Thursday and the following Tuesday, you get calls with different editors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've spoken with other authors that have done book auctions. And they said, you know, I didn't necessarily go for the one who offered the most money. I went for the ones whose editors saw the vision I had for the book and shared the same enthusiasm. So for you, you know, when you're talking with these editors, it must be difficult because they're very passionate about your work quite clearly (laughs) to be in a book auction to fight for, fight for the deal. Um, So how did you find the conversations with the editors? Was it, you know, just a little bit of, you know, here's what I, I feel for your book. What, what sort of did they share with you that, that was helpful mm-hmm. in deciding. You know, I, I think everyone had good comments, um, and it, it is it is very helpful to hear, like, oh, you know, I, I like this, you know, but I like that. I ended up with, you know, my editor for Night Tiger is Amy Einhorn, and I was absolutely gobsmacked. In fact, mm-hmm. I was <laughs> kind of in a state of fandom. And I said, um, mm-hmm. 
Jenny, I really going to be able to talk to her? And she's like, yeah, you can talk to her. And so um, Amy actually had the most comments about the book. You know, she said, mm-hmm. I, I, if I have a lot of revisions for this book. And, uh, and she, she talked to me about them, but I felt like, huh, that she has the most revisions of anyone I talked to. But I felt like her revisions were good. You know, mm-hmm. and the other thing that I was struck by is the fact that we had cut this book down from you know two hundred thousand words or something to a <laughs> hundred, and the questions she asked were really very good questions. Like she said, "What about this?" and then, "How about that?" and "Where did this come from?" and a lot of it was stuff that I. So mm-hmm. I thought she was extraordinarily perceptive. You know, yes. th- there was going to be quite a bit of work on the book, but she was very perceptive. Um, uh, and uh, actually, she edited together with um, Carolyn Blakey, and she was great. So I was very, very lucky to have both of them, you know. Um, Wonderful. Both of them work on the book. I thought both of them gave great comments. And so after that, I thought about it. I thought, well, you know, she's, they have more revisions but I feel like, and it might be a little harder to do, but I think it will be a better book. Um, and so and, and so that's how we end it with Flatiron. And I'm so very grateful to Amy and Carolyn. Really, really oh. grateful. Yes. <laughs> really, this could be, who knows, a giant octopus of a book, but um, <laughs> very, very much so. Really, and I, you know, this is the other thing I did think about. I thought... Um, this might be my one chance to work with them. Wow. Mm, (laughs) I I better take this one chance. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So from the time, once you've decided and you get your publisher and you start working with the, the editor or editors in your case, how long did it take from that point to where it was ready to actually print and start promoting and, and, and being able to attend, you know, book fairs where you can sort of promote the work and, and meet people, booksellers, and that type of thing. Hmm. I, I think. I think it. I think it's usually about a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. That that's my sense, um, and I I can't quite remember for this book because it feels to me that I've been editing this book forever. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it was so long. But um, but Amy and Carolyn gave me great remarks, you know, and, and Carolyn worked through so much of the book with me. Um, and But I do think it was about probably about a year and a half or so. And then they also, they tell you um, when, you know, when they want to publish it. And I, I guess they work backwards from there. Like, then we need mm-hmm. the edits in by such and such a time. I was really excited because I I look at Kirkus reviews all the time and noticed that you got a starred review. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was like a dream come true. Like, oh, what? pinch me. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's such an honor. And I just want to read what they said because I thought it was perfect. They they quoting them they say chew weaves her research in with a feather light touch and readers will be so caught up in the natural and supernatural intrigue that the serious themes here about colonialism and power dynamics about gender and class are absorbed with equal delicacy chew has written a sumptuous garden maze of a novel that immerses readers in a complex vanished world so 
that to me, I just thought, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. I was actually and, really, really, I, I don't know how, I, I said the word grateful a lot, but I do, I do feel so very grateful. You mm-hmm. know, I, I really well, do. It's a, big, it's a big honor, and I think, you know, I, I've seen how a Kirkus review can catapult a book into booksellers having more interest in libraries and just uh, readers in general. So do you find that that makes, that's made a difference in, in pre-sales and, and sort of publicity for the book? Um, I, I don't know, but I, I'm, I think it, it's been, it's certainly been very helpful. I think that yes. all authors, um, one of the hard things is like waiting for your reviews. So I was talking to some other authors um, who were, you know, had upcoming books, and people were like, "Oh man, I feel re- I feel nauseous," you know. <laughs> I and and that's something that you you don't really think about when you're writing your book, you know. That oh no. well, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but but a good review is so very very much appreciated, I think. And I do know that not all books are for everyone, you know. Not everyone's going to like the same book, but um, to have someone actually like it, it, it feels like, wow, you know, and it feels sort of unbelievable. You know, things <laughs> like, I, you know, Kirkus um, publishes weekly book lists. I think these are the big independent mm-hmm. reviews. And um, it's an honor to even get them to review a book, you know, because there are yeah. so many books published exactly. every month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it is, it's, 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 yeah, it's 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 an honor to be reviewed. Speaking of all the wonderful things about writing and publishing, did you ever have a time where you sort of felt like maybe it wasn't going to happen, maybe you would never be published, you know, those sort of dark night of the soul for writers when we might be like on the precipice of something bigger, but we're questioning our own abilities. Did you ever experience that? Oh, always. Every day. <laughs> I think all, all writers do. You're like writing and you're thinking, this is terrible. Oh, my goodness. What? And then there's also like looking back at earlier drafts like, oh, oh wow, wow, this is, this is bad. You know? mm-hmm. But you also feel like, ah, oh, that was pretty good and that's okay. But honestly, like the whole um, – I, I, think, I think last time we talked, I, I think I told you that I never expected to be published. Um, yes. And – so maybe I just have a bar. <laughs> no, seriously. And, you know, I was like, I know, I never really thought anyone, I honestly can tell you, I never thought that anyone would want to read a book by, about some obscure folk custom from a small country um, halfway around the world. And I, I, I was just really amazed, you know. I, and, I, and I still have those feelings. Like then when I'd written the first one, I thought, first of all, oh my goodness, I'm such a slow writer. And then secondly, what am I writing? This is so bizarre. <laughs> Who is going to read? Nobody's going to read this book. So anyway, but I just thought um, that you just have to write what, what you find interesting. You know, yes. I, ever since I was a kid, I've been drawn to strange tales. So things like... And then, you know, there's a sound from the well, and we don't know why, right? Mm-hmm. And every night on the, uh, on, the, on the third hill from the left, there's a light <laughs> that goes on, and nobody knows why either. So these are things that I, I would like, I was always curious about. And I thought, I'll just keep writing my book the, the way it is. Um, 
And I think you also have to feel like, at the end of, end of the day, you also have to write for yourself to a certain degree. You know, what, yes. what is interesting? Mm-hmm. But I definitely feel like that. And actually, even now, I was just wailing yesterday, like, I'm, I'm stumped. What am I going to write now? <laughs> this, this is the end. <laughs> um, this, this, I actually was talking to another interviewer, and he was just laughing. He said, I hear this from every single author. Like, mm-hmm. And that was it. That was my last book. <laughs> so um, it, it is, I think, writing a book or writing anything, you know, means calling, calling forth a lot out of some giant reserve of imagination. And there is also, of course, a fear that it will run dry, you know. So um, all, all those things. But you, you just keep going on. I listened to this great interview with Elmore Leonard on NPR a few years ago, and um, I think he said, he said, they asked him, what's your favorite novel? He's like, it's the one I'm working on. So I thought, that, that's, that's a good way to go, yeah. You know, we all have we to encourage ourselves. Yeah, you yeah. want to be in love with what you're writing and, and yeah. feel passionate about it or it's just not there. Do yeah. you, if you, I always I like to ask this question, especially after, you know, an author is on their second book or, or third or fourth, whatever. Um, if you could go back in time to the moment when you began writing and really considering becoming published, what advice do you think you would give to your very new writer self? I would say just just keep writing and don't give up because mm-hmm. um, there are lots of people who are writing. Um, and I think the difference is whether you can finish something. So even if you write a terrible no- novel, and I have, I did sort of write a really bad one before, like my Elephant Detective novel, which took eight years, by the way, and still unfinished. <laughs> I will never see the light of day. But it, it, just keep on writing. I think the writing in itself is a learning process. Um, uh, and you, you, you certainly learn things. I, I learned new things this time round, um, and you know, new editors. New, it was like, like I said, um, Carolyn and Amy really were very, very helpful. They asked me lots of questions which I hadn't thought of. I was like, oh, okay, that that could be. That's a good way to go, go at things. Um, the second thing I would say: do not fear the editing process. Mm. Um, and I, I've come to read, I, I, I think someone a long time ago told me there were two, there's two kinds of writers. One is that you love the blank sheet and the other one is like, likes to edit stuff. You know, so I like to have something yeah. already out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, and I'd always been like, I love the blank sheet sort because I'm, you know, uh, tend to write organically but i realize that for um for those of us who are like that that it's actually don't don't be afraid of editing because editing is actually super helpful you know you can actually shape and it's a different form of the craft it is very necessary as well i i can't tell you what all the the terrible things i've like cut (laughs) off and thrown away because they're just bad like bad writing um you know, so yeah, I, I would tell myself that. Like, don't fear being, don't fear having to go back and edit. Editing is good. You know, mm-hmm. none of us wants to read unedited books. <laughs> <laughs> no, <definitely not. laughs> yeah, it's super helpful. You're like, yeah. In fact, I see that more and more now that my kids are growing older. 
and I actually will tell them like, and the point of your, what are you telling me? You know, like, and that's not books, but that's just even them recounting things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's important to ask the question. Yes. So and so so wait wait wait. What what was the point? You know what what why why you know? And then they'll be like, oh, you know, well, I really wanted to say blah blah blah. So um, that that made me think that it's also a form of communication. You know, whatever that form takes. Hmm. Definitely. So as we come to a close, I always like to ask authors what book they're reading and loving or what their favorite book is so far in the past year. What? Oh, what's yours? Oh, you know, I just finished reading. Oh, so I'm in the middle of Haruki Murakami's um, new novel, Killing Commendatory, um, mm. and he's one of my favorite writers. But I just finished um, uh, My Sister the Serial Killer. By, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh, I think her name is Oinka Braithwaite. Um, and when I heard of this book, I was like, I have to read this book because the title is so great. I, I don't know whether you've heard of it, but she's a Nigerian writer. And the premise of the novel um, is that her sister is a serial killer and the other sister uh, cleans up for her. So <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, already within it, there's so much... Uh, there's so much tension and there's so many questions like what, why, you know, who's doing this? Um, and so many complexities of the relationship, family relationships. Um, and it was a great novel. You know, it was short, but well written. And mm-hmm. I, I read it on a plane flight and I remember saying, oh, this is great. And I, I love this. This is so, her writing is so direct and fresh. Um, it, it was a, it was a great read, so I, I really enjoyed that. Oh, that's a great recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Great title, too. You won't forget it. Yes. My sister's a serial killer. It's a I very thought-provoking to... book. Anyway, sorry. Mm. Yeah, definitely. No, um, I just wanted to thank you so much for all of your insight and wisdom and being able to share that with others. And I'm really thrilled about The Night Tiger and its debut. I think it's just so beautiful and magical and there's mystery and there's women's empowerment and I just love it. I love it so much. So thank you so much for coming here and talking with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much, Crystal Lee. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking. Yang Shi Chu can be found online at yschu.com. That's YS. Choo.com. You can pre-order her book, The Night Tiger, where all fine books are sold. Make sure to leave a review for our authors on Amazon and Goodreads. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you took a moment to leave a two-sentence review on iTunes, and I'll give you a shout-out on our next recording. Tune in next week as we speak with Agent Eric Smith of PS Literary. Hand to heart, pen to paper, and write on. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.